Well, friends, lovely to see you. And uh, if you're new or visiting, it's great to have you with us. My name's Mark. I'm the senior pastor here. <clears throat> and uh, if you've got a Bible, turn to Luke 24. We're going to be looking at this passage together this morning. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. Certainly it's happened to me on several occasions. You're in a shop or on the street and someone comes up to you all smiles and beaming eyes and they say, hey, how have you been? It's been a long time since I've seen you. You look great. And you look deep into their eyes and you think for a second and then the truth dawns, I have got no idea who you are. (laughs) Has that happened to you? Has that happened to you? Or even, even worse, actually, you go bowling up to somebody. Hey, great to see you. And then they look at you and go, got no idea who you are either. Has that happened? It does happen, doesn't it? It happens to us all at different times. Um, uh, I, I think those two scenarios are embarrassing, to say the least, but probably they affect us all at, because not everything we see is always as it could be. Let me just show you seven little pictures. Let's pull these up, Callum, if that's okay. This is the first one. You see that picture of a man, outline of a man? Then if you just tilt your head to the right, you can just see really it's just the name of somebody written on a piece of paper. Can you see that? Yeah, not quite as you thought. Now let's go to the next one. Can you see that? Two people looking out at a lake, but really it's a baby. Can you see the baby in the picture? Not everything is always as you imagine. What's the second? What's the next one? We've got a third one here. Oh, you know that one, don't you? Uh, there's the old lady. Can you see the old lady or can you see the young lady? You can see the old lady with the big nose. But if you turn the nose into a chin and you can see a little nose and an eyebrow. Uh, can you see the eyelashes? You see a nice pretty young lady. Let's turn next one. Here we go, there's an elephant. How many legs has that elephant got? Can you work that out? <laughs> Too many. Yeah, things aren't always... What about the next one? Here we go. There's a rabbit or is it a duck? <laughs> and then this one. I just put that in there. I thought that was a great picture. Anybody else feel like that when you go shopping? <laughs> and then a final one. And now if you stare at that long enough, the birds fly. Can you see that? Some of you are going, no, he's lost it. Can, can anybody see the birds moving? Yeah, some of you can, yeah. yeah. Others are going, no. Yeah, they're going that way, that way? One of they, they are, aren't they? Some, some of you hadn't, haven't had enough caffeine yet today to make that happen. <laughs> I invite you to do so afterwards. But the thing is this, thanks very much, we just put those off. The the, the thing is this, things aren't always as they necessarily seem. And we're in a little journey today on the road to Emmaus. And we're journeying with two disciples. And for them, things weren't as they originally thought they were. Um, The whole point of the story is that it highlights the hope we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The story happens on the evening of last Sunday. When we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, in the morning we get here and we go, yes, Christ has risen from the dead. That same day, these two guys are on the way home 
to Emmaus. This is the evening of that day. And uh, for them, they hadn't felt the excitement of resurrection morning. They didn't know that it happened. You, you've got to put yourself in their mindset. For, for them, they're walking along pretty dejected, disappointed that this person they had such hope in didn't do what they thought he was going to do. They're completely deflated, in a sense, even despairing. All of that can be summed up in our reading. It says this, verse 17. This is Jesus had met them. He says, he asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short. Sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there in the last few days. What are things? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. And this all happened three days ago. These two disciples had left a demoralized and dejected group of disciples in Jerusalem who who were also asking the same question. Has this all come to a terrible, abrupt end? Were all our hopes put in the wrong place? Was our long-for future, that that we thought was promised, now completely undone? And we can understand their confusion, can't we? The master they had loved and followed had been horribly put to death. Death by crucifixion was a terrible death anyway, but more than that, it was a very public death. It was a public death where people would jeer and throw things at those who'd been crucified. It was a shameful death. And this had happened to the one that they had put their hopes in. And and we're only a week later than when Jesus had entered Jerusalem the first time. When he'd entered Jerusalem, the whole of Jerusalem had turned out. They'd ripped leaves off the branches off the trees. They'd thrown their coats on the floor and they'd welcomed him in, this man, as their saviour. So the disciples, the followers of Jesus at that point, had had their hopes right up high. This is it. This is the moment. This is what these three years have been working toward. This is what Jesus has been talking about. This is a final understanding of the fact that this is the one, the Messiah. He is the one who's going to deliver us from the tyranny of Roman occupation. But now he lay dead, his body stolen, their hopes were dashed. The dream was over. The followers of Jesus were without a leader and they were quickly falling apart. These two were already on their way home. They'd left it all behind. I mean, what else was there to do? Life goes on. They thought it was the right thing to follow Jesus, but obviously it wasn't. And now we've got to go home and, and we're living with incredible disappointment in that the reports of Christ's tomb, that Christ's tomb was empty had only confused them all the more. Their entire world had come apart. 
two downhearted disciples summed up the situation when they said this. Verse 21, we had hoped he was the Messiah. We had hoped he was the Messiah, the one who would come and rescue Israel. We had hoped. You know, human hope is a fragile thing. And if human hope is crushed, it's very difficult to revive it again. If human hope is is put down, it's very difficult to lift it up again. When someone's lost hope, that's a long journey back. And these guys had lost hope. I don't know if you've ever experienced such hopelessness. When there's a sense of there's no way out. There's, no matter how hard you try, there's nothing you can do to change the situation. That look of total helplessness sometimes seen in people's eyes. What can we do in this situation? The cancer's spread too far. Or my spouse has left me for another partner. Or I feel so stuck in my job. Or I've given up. Or my job's coming to an end. Or my future's uncertain. Hopelessness can easily set into any of our lives. And if you've heard yourself or even someone else say these words, if you have, then you've a bit of an idea what the Emmaus two were grappling with. Just recently, we've lost someone we loved. And I remember sitting there in that place thinking there's nothing one can do with hopelessness in your heart. Hopelessness is desperately hard to cure. And actually, we can even become afraid of hope because we don't want to be let down again. Dare I hope again? Dare I think there might be a future? Dare I think there possibly is something else? Dare I think there might be light at the end of the tunnel? We had hopes, they said. And what they're saying is we don't expect it now anymore. We know it's not going to happen. We once did think it was going to happen. We once thought Jesus was the one. But now there's nothing left. But the thing is this, that's not the full story. We haven't got to the end yet. So many people make judgments on Christianity without knowing the full story. So many people. I, I love listening um, to Radio 4, and it was a while ago now, someone was on Desert Island Disc. I, I caught the end of it, I don't even know who the person was. But, um, uh, you know, they say, What do you want to take on this island with you? Oh, I can't remember what they said they wanted to take. But they said, uh, he said, you get the, she said, oh, you get the Bible and you get the complete works of Shakespeare. And this person said this, I look forward to getting the Bible because I've never read the story and I feel it a bit, a bit unfair that I have judged it before knowing it. Now that's often, isn't that interesting? Someone actually acknowledged it. I thought that was a good thing to acknowledge. I've rejected it without even knowing it, without even really looking into it. I've said, no, that's not for me. Well, we're only partway through this story. And if we left it partway through, we'd be left with hopelessness in our hearts. But the travellers, as the travellers made their weary way to Emmaus, a stranger falls in beside them and starts walking with them. What are you guys talking so intently about? It must have been one of the most wonderful walks in history. 
And they had no idea they had the Saviour walking next to them. They had no idea. Luke tells us that they were kept from recognising him. Maybe they were too preoccupied to look him in the eye. Maybe they just didn't care. Maybe it was just out of context and so out of expectation. I'm sure you've had that place, you know. I mean, if you think about it, you know, you know someone very well in Ealing. And then when you meet them in Cornwall, you think, who are you? I know you, but you shouldn't be here. You know, this isn't the right place for you to be. And so you struggle to know who they are. Well, if you think about it, these guys saw Jesus die. He's not going to be walking beside them. Certainly there was no expectation of that. Certainly this would be the wrong context for that. No one's going to rise from the dead and go walk with them. I mean, who are they? And so out of context. What difference did it make who was walking with them anyway? They were grieving. Grieving a great loss in their lives. And along comes this chatty stranger who hasn't got a clue what's been going on in Jerusalem, or so it seems. And the stranger says to them, what's been happening? And as he listened, they poured out their hearts. Jesus doesn't dumb that down. But rather in his infinite consideration for their brokenness and their bewildered minds, he comes next to them and joins them on their journey. He walks with them and he listens to them. I think that's a really important part of the Christian faith. You know, Jesus in his ministry walked alongside the wounded. Jesus in his ministry included the excluded. Jesus in his ministry embraced the lonely and the stranger amongst them. He he wasn't someone who rushed off to do the next thing. But he had a heart for those that he was with. And he listens to them. And then as he listens, he fills our hearts with the promises of God's word. And ultimately with hope and with understanding. Jesus knew that downtrodden people don't need someone to tell them, you should have just listened better these last three years. Then you'd have understood. They don't need someone to tell them, If you just cheer up, it'll be okay. Or you'll snap out of it. Rather, what they need is companionship. They need a listening ear before they need a stream of good advice. I've learned that from my wife. She's told me, just listen. Don't say anything. And sometimes I just listen. When I remember, I just listen. (laughs) And after just listening, she says, oh, I feel better now. And I think, why? I didn't give you my wisdom. (laughs) I didn't pass on those pearls. They were the answer to everything that you're carrying at the moment. If I do do that, she says, that's not, I don't feel better. (laughs) But Jesus knew. He just needed a walk beside them. He needed to give them space to say how they were. And Jesus joins us on our journey, you know. He spends time with us, sometimes unrecognized in the person of a stranger. And Jesus enters their pain, these two, and allows them to share 
their disappointment. And as they tell this stranger what they thought the man of Galilee was all about, Jesus begins to unpack and unfold the story of God. Notice that. He doesn't condemn them. He doesn't instruct them. He just tells them the story of God. This is, this is what I hold dear. This is the story of God at work in my life. This is the story of God at work in mankind. This is the story of God at work in our society. He, he doesn't preach them a sermon. He doesn't say, you've got to believe this. You've got to. He just says, let me tell you the story of God. Let me unpack the whole story for you. Because if I unpack the whole story, you'll understand. I don't need to tell you anything. I just need to let you know what the story says. And starting with the story of the fall of man and how God deals with our human failure, Jesus told them about God's plan of salvation and the thread of God's activity in the lives of his people. And he tells them the story of God pursuing us in the Bible. That's the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is the story of God's pursuit in love of us as his people. He pursues us. He longs to be in relationship with us. And the Bible unfolds that story. What a wonderful story that we have a God who loves us, who wants to embrace us, who wants to look after us, who wants to walk with us. We have a story of a God who's for us. And as he tells this story, he says, And did not the Christ have to suffer these things? Suffering, perhaps that's the one thing they hadn't factored in. Like many of us, the disciples were counting on a Messiah who would rule with power and crush the enemies of Israel and establish the kingdom of God once and for all on earth. Let's just sweep it out of the way. Let's make everything right all in one quick click. They couldn't conceive of the idea of a Messiah who would suffer and die on a Roman cross. And maybe today Jesus would say, even to some of us, as he said to his disciples, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. And their two-hour journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus must have seemed like a few minutes. They were so wrapped up in this conversation with the Lord, whom they had not yet recognised. And Luke informs us as they approached the village to where they were going, Emmaus, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they invited him to come in with them because evening had fallen and it would have been dangerous for him to travel on alone on his own. They didn't have to ask him in. He was ready to move on. But there was something about this guy. There was something that warmed their hearts. There was something that made them feel attracted to him and the things that he was sharing. So they set a table for three and there was bread on the table and the stranger took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and in the act of breaking they recognised him for who he was. He broke it and gave thanks and he began to give it them and they saw his hands. They were different from when he'd broken bread at the feeding of the 5,000. And they were different from when he'd broken bread at the Last Supper. They were nail-pierced hands. And in an instant, they knew him. And then in an instant, he was gone. Why did he have to disappear? Couldn't he have stayed longer? They don't know. 
but I can imagine Cleopas and his friends standing in amazement, asking each other, well, were not our hearts burning within us as he spoke? How slow we were to see. We didn't see, we didn't understand that Christ was walking alongside us all this time and they realised that he had risen from the dead. And they lost no time in retracing their steps to Jerusalem to share that good news with the other disciples. You know, the story is told of an actor who was known for his readings of the classics. And um, he always ended his performance with a dramatic reading of Psalm 23. Every night, without exception, as the actor began his reading, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not long, and shall not want. The crowd would listen attentively and then rise with thunderous applause in appreciation of the actor's ability to bring the psalm to life. One night just before the actor was to offer his customary reading, an old man from the audience spoke up. He says, Sir, would you mind if tonight I read the psalm? The actor was surprised at this unusual request. However, he invited the old man to come onto the stage and read the psalm, curious to see how this old man would do. And softly, and with his voice way beyond its best, the old man began to read the words of the psalm. And when he finished, there was no applause, there was no standing ovation as on other nights. All that could be heard was the sound of weeping. The audience had been so moved by the psalm that every eye was tearful. Amazed at what he had experienced, the actor inquired, I don't understand, he said, I've been performing this psalm for years. I have a lifetime of experience and training, but I've never been able to move an audience as you have tonight. Tell me, what's your secret? And the old man humbly replied, well, sir, he said, you know the psalm, but I know the shepherd. You see, these disciples, they suddenly realise, we, we know him. Our hope was in the right place. Oh, we, we've rushed off home. We thought it was all over, but it's not over. We, we only heard half the story. The full story is that he rose from the dead. The full story is that he offers hope. The full story is that there's a new beginning. I'm almost certain that that two-hour journey back to Jerusalem took the disciples very little time. They'd have been running and skipping. They were on a mission. Their hearts were burning. They had good news to share. Their broken hearts had been transformed into hearts that were on fire for the Lord. You see, hope has that powerful effect on us. It transforms ordinary people like the Emmaus disciples into extraordinary people who have a passion and a burning in their hearts for their Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And if we just listen to half the story, our hearts can be broken. But you know, the whole story is that Jesus says we'll have life in all its fullness here on earth. He also says we'll know suffering and pain. And he says the completion of the story is a resurrection from the dead. The completion of the story is when we'll live with the Lord forever. The completion of the story is that there is ultimate hope. And we can meet that in all sorts of places. 
In life, friends, we'll meet pain and defeat and despair and disappointment in our daily life. But every now and again, we'll know the stranger walking alongside us. And you know, that person who comes alongside us might be the one who shares something of the hope of Christ with us. And just maybe we'll walk alongside somebody else. And you don't need to offer them your wise advice, although wise I'm sure it is. And you don't need to tell them what they need to do. And you don't, don't tell them to snap out of it. That doesn't work. I've tried that. You just need to share the story of God, the hope that we have, the rest of the story, the whole story, that it's in Jesus Christ that my hope is found. And in Jesus Christ, where my hope is found, that's where new life comes. That's where ultimate hope is found. That's where disappointments are washed away. That's ultimately where we will know, as we are promised in the end, no tears will no more fall, there'll be no more sickness, no more sadness, all will flee away. And we'll know the presence of our Lord and Saviour with us on a daily basis. I've used this illustration before, so forgive me for using it again. But Jim Wallace told the story of this homeless ministry they run in Washington, D.C. There's an 82-year-old woman who helps run that ministry, and she begins the day each, each day with the same prayer. She says, Lord Jesus, as people come today to get food, we know that you're going to be somewhere in the queue. Please help us to treat you well. I wonder this week if we might be Jesus to somebody. If we might walk along somebody, next to somebody, or whether someone might be Jesus to us and they might walk along next to us. And we would know his help and his hope. What we do know this, friends, is these Emmaus disciples, they went home halfway through the story. They rushed back because the story had yet, was not yet finished. You might be going home halfway through the story in a place of disappointment, dejection, not understanding, confusion. You might be in a place of saying, well, my future looks uncertain. My job is, is uncertain. My, my relationships are uncertain. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling as though hope is draining out of me. Don't stop there. Turn and come to Jesus. For that's where ultimate hope is found. That's where you will find everything that you need in life. Believe me, it's true. I don't say it because I read about it. I say it because I know it. I know the shepherd myself as my Lord and Saviour, my ultimate hope and deliverer.